How do you tap into the keystone habits of the people around you? There was this researcher at uh, Procter & Gamble who, a couple of years ago, was using this chemical, HPBCD, in the lab, comes home at night, his wife comes, greets him at the door, she gives him a kiss, and she says, oh, honey, did you quit smoking today? It's just that usually when you come home from work, you, sell, you smell like cigarette smoke, and today you didn't, so I thought maybe you would quit. At which point this guy realizes, because he had been smoking all day long, there's something about this chemical he was using that made the, the scent of cigarettes disappear from his clothing and his skin. So he goes back into his lab the next day and he tells his bosses, and they're ecstatic. So they give this guy three years and seven million dollars, and he turns HPVCD into Febreze, right. Procter Gamble's overjoyed. They are convinced they're gonna make a gajillion dollars from this stuff. So they call one of their top marketing guys, this guy named Drake Stimson, and they tell him, Go figure out how to create a new habit, because we've never sold anything like this before, but we think it's a pretty obvious habit we want to encourage through our marketing. The cue here should be, if you have a bad smell in your life, we want to teach you to pick up Febreze and to spray it, because the reward is we're going to get rid of that bad smell. They go, they think about it a lot, they make some, some test advertisements, they choose a couple of test markets. Let me show you what one of the ads looked like they showed in one of these test markets. I love the big fella. The cleaning and smell out of my rugs, not so easy. Well, now there's a way to get bad smells out of fabrics for good. It's called Febreze. It's new, and it works in places you wouldn't expect. Febreze cleans bad smells out of fabrics for good. I see. Perfect. Febreze at the time was a new technology. They had figured out how to explain a new technology to you so simply that you watch that ad and you know what Febreze does. So they wait for results to come in. A week goes by, two weeks, a month, two months. Febreze is the largest failure in Procter & Gamble's 100-year history. So Drake and his team, they start doing interviews with some customers. And the dime kind of drops for them when they're talking to this woman who lives right outside of Scottsdale. Now, this woman owns a couple of cats. Does anyone here own cats? A couple of you. This woman, on the other hand, she owned 37 cats. She owned so many cats that when the researchers would wa walked into her house to interview her, one of them started gagging from the overpowering scent of cats. Well, you know, we sent you a couple of bottles of Febreze. Did you use them? And she says, yeah, you know, once or twice I used the bottles you sent me. Thank you for sending them. And the guy who literally had just been gagging from the smell of cats says, well, what about right now? Would you consider using Febreze right now? <laughs> and the woman looks at him and she kind of smiles bashfully and she says, you know, I don't like to be prideful but I have the best cats. They hardly ever smell. At which point the team realized what all of you know, which is if you have 37 cats, you have no idea that your house smells like cats. This is a, this is a trick of our neurology, that when we're exposed to scents, we essentially become completely immune to sensing them anymore. And for Procter & Gamble, though, this is a, this is a disaster. Because if the cue they're trying to use is that you have a bad smell in your life, and the reward that they're trying to deliver is that they're getting rid of that bad smell, but that reward doesn't have any meaning for you, then nobody is going to buy Febreze. And if you can't sell Febreze to a woman with 37 cats, who can you sell it to? So they're looking at this, and they realize people that they're trying to sell to, they already have cleaning habits. And at the end of those cleaning habits, they're giving themselves rewards. They're like sighing or they're smiling at themselves. They feel good about having just cleaned. And Drake Simpson says, look, let's piggyback on this. Instead of trying to create a whole new habit, let's take advantage of an existing habit that already exists in someone's life. They come up with a whole new game plan. This time the cue is a habit you already have. 
And the routine is at the end of that, pull out the Febreze and spray it. And the reward is because we're going to make everything smell as good as it looks. But remember, Febreze doesn't actually smell like anything. It gets rid of bad smells. So they go back in the lab. They spend another million dollars inventing a perfume strong enough that they can pour it into the Febreze bottles and give Febreze its own smell. And then they record some new advertisements. Let me show you what they look like. Fix of freshness. Febreze. Anytime, anywhere. It's a breath of fresh air. They release those ads into their test markets. They go national with them. And sales explode. Just out of the first year alone, they do $200 million. And the lesson here is that it makes a lot of sense to sell something to someone by saying, oh, you should like to get rid of bad smells. That's a logical reward. But habits only take hold if the reward is actually rewarding to the person you're trying to influence. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about rewards and how uh, the Bible addresses rewards. Uh, maybe you uh, met Skylar several weeks ago. Skylar is going in the process of uh, developing a habit called the Nazarite Vow. So three weeks ago, he came up on stage and he was not going to shave for the entire time between now and Easter. Uh, and the reward of drawing closer to God, the habit of having some hair as a constant cue to remind you to pray. So we thought we'd sort of check in with Skylar and tell us what are some of the uh, cues that you've experienced, what are some of the rewards, and what are some of the challenges. Uh, well, some of the uh, challenges are that I just feel kind of scruffy and patchy right now. So uh-huh. um, I had to go to a wedding last weekend, and I uh, didn't feel quite as uh, well-groomed as I would have liked walking in there. So I kind of felt like a guy who wandered in off the street in the, uh-huh. the wedding where everybody else was dressed up really nice. So. Now, have you grown a beard before? Are you typically shave? or how has it uh, Shaved pretty much every day for the last 20 years. So this is a new new thing for me. And uh, so the cue before every day was get up and get ready for work and shave. And now it's I go to shave, and the cue is to that time talking to God. And how have the, so three weeks in, how have been the rewards? What have been the benefits so far you've experienced? Uh, spending more time with God and that daily reminder um, just to draw near to Him. And, and like I said, feeling kind of pat- patchy and scruffy, kind of feel like I don't always look like I should or fit in like uh-huh. I should. And it's a reminder that people, when they took the Nazarite vow, they did that to kind of be set apart hmm. for God. So that kind of redirects my day. Hmm. We are actually going to, at the end of the series, the last week, we're going to go back to the Nazarite vow and talk about how people completed that vow by having their head shaved and having their uh, their uh, beard actually uh, shaved off. So we're going to see Skyler again in a few weeks. But can we uh, thank him for coming up and uh, being part of this for this? Thank you, Skyler. Uh, today we're going to talk about a habit, uh, the, uh, the habit of service, serving other people. And I think serving sounds very romantic, you know, the idea of serving. Oh, it's very romantic, the orphan, the poor, the needy. It's romantic to serve. But when you actually start to serve, you find out that the romance dies pretty quickly. Real service, the real discipline of service, it's hard work. I mean, it's really hard work. There's rewards without a doubt, but it's a lot of hard work. And Jesus is going to refer to what you saw in that study in the sense that if you get the reward right, you're able to serve even though there's not an immediate reaction to you. You're able to serve to those who don't know about it and can't give you anything in return, you can engage in secret service. Think, think of the movie Annie. 
In the movie Annie gives the idea that there's all these red-headed, perfect children who can sing on pitch, who are just waiting for people to adopt them, and Daddy Warbucks comes along and he adopts, and they sing tomorrow, tomorrow, and it's happily ever after. And yet if you've ever engaged in foster care or adoption or engaged into this world, you find that, and for us we adopted Quinn uh, right after he was born, so he's been with us for five and a half years, you find out that real service is hard work. And there's a level of sacrifice and challenge that at some point the euphoria wears off and you have to commit to some greater reward of serving in the trenches, especially when it comes to adoption. Sometimes you don't even know the full extent of your sacrifice. About uh, four months ago, around Thanksgiving, we found out that Javen had, Javen, Quinn had uh, some cavities because of the way he grinds his teeth with his autism, because of the way we can't explain to him why we're going to put drills in his mouth. A simple cavity is suddenly going to be far more costly financially, far more costly of our time. We've got to have same-day surgery. So you're telling your son with autism who doesn't communicate much, He's got to not eat from 9 p.m. until the next day. We come to the hospital. We get there two hours in the waiting room, still starving, autistic child. And now the surgery is delayed because of the people before you. So now you're trying to entertain a starving, autistic child for two more hours in a small room. All this just to get a stinking cavity filled. And then we're standing in the room. He's scared to death. We're holding his hands. He's breathing deeply. He wakes up and they've cleaned his teeth. They've put caps on his two bottom teeth. And now he's like Quinn the gangsta. You know, he's got these two gold teeth, silver teeth right here. And I just didn't realize when we said we wanted to adopt all the levels of hard work and sacrifice that would be required. But what I've discovered is that God offers a greater reward that allows us to get past that initial moment of I feel good when I serve. To how do you keep serving when you're in those I don't immediately feel good when I serve moments. How do we develop an eye for others? Think of it like a spectrum. Some of us are are born with an instinct to keep an eye on ourselves, an eye on serving myself. I give to myself. uh, I give time to myself. I give money to myself. I'm serving a self-interest. And again, that's not a bad starting place. Even Jesus says you love others as you love yourself. Your self-interest is a reference point to begin to start to love other people. But we want to move not from just an eye on serving myself, I think the next step often is an eye on how I'm seen. I'm giving as an obligation, but now I don't want to serve because I like to be seen as a person who serves. Maybe by myself. I like the idea that I'm not just stingy with my time. I've moved away from just serving myself to begin to care for other people. But at the end of the day, my motivation really is I like what I get out of it. It's a step. It's a, it's a progress. But sometimes that means that I'm only giving when I'm seen. I'm only giving in public. I'm only giving when I get a reward. I'm only giving when somebody will notice it. So at some point, it's time to take another step. And I move from serving being an obligation to serving being a responsibility. Now I begin to have an eye on other people's needs. I love serving people because but they have so much less than I do. And I've been entrusted with so much. And they really might have catastrophic issues, head into prostitution in Belize or, or head into poverty or, or, or be, have a, a problem with their face and needing surgery they'll never be able to afford. I want to give up a vacation, give up my time, and give up my planning because I'm really starting to care about other people's needs. But then there's a final step. A final step is where you have an eye on God's example. Serving because a privilege. Because you begin to understand the message of the Bible, and, and whether you believe it or not, yet or not, you start to get that the message of the Bible is that God left heaven 
he came to earth not to demand his own way, not to say you should serve me, but he constantly comes to serve people. He washes feet. He cares for the poor, the rich, the needy. He gives of himself constantly. He even climbs up on a cross, and on that cross, he says, I'm serving you by offering you forgiveness. When you get to the stage that the penny drops on that, you begin to say, serving's a privilege because I'm serving other people the way that God who made me served me. So how do you do that? Well, Jesus is going to talk about in the Sermon on the Mount today. He's going to say that how we do that is that when you measure what you treasure, you can find your current habits. And when you measure what you treasure, you can change your habits. So you've got to figure out what are you currently treasuring and aiming your routines at? And what would it be like to have a greater treasure, a greater reward that would allow you to serve other people in a deeper, more meaningful way? Now, to do that, he's going to ask us two questions. And those two questions are going to really poke at us a bit. They're going to put a finger on, am I really serving myself? Am I serving because I'd like to be seen as a person who serves? Or am I willing to engage in secret service? Back in uh, 2007, 2008, when Katrina hit, we as a church began to mobilize. We mobilized to collect water from all over the community. And maybe you were back uh, at our church during the CCD days. You know, we, we got cartons and cartons of water got dropped off at Cincinnati Country Day School. We're packing these up. We're sending these trips all the way down to Katrina to provide water. And I was doing some announcements on stage, but I just had lots of stuff going on, uh, staff search-wise, and I was not down there loading any water at any time. But a news crew was showing up. And one of the staff members said, hey, a news crew's coming to highlight what we're doing as a church with the water. Oh, okay, well, I'll head down there. So I get, I know, then notice it's a hot, hot day. People got shorts on. They're sweating. They've been working all day. I show up in my blazer and my business, ca- my business casual, and all of a sudden the news crew is there. I grab a cart, and I'm doing my first and only, I might mention, a trip up the ramp. You know, as the camera's rolling. They cut me out. They did not put me in the report. I remember driving home or back to the office that day thinking, that was so inauthentic. I mean, there's many times I've gone and served, but the reason I went down there was to be seen, not because I really had a heart for what was going on. So there's areas of my life that I am very much in self-centered mode. There's other areas that I, I need to grow because I'm in the be seen mode. And there's a few areas I've stumbled into the servings of privilege. So th- this, these two questions challenge me. To move in that direction. The first question is, are my eyes on the right treasures? Jesus is fascinating in the sermon because he's criticizing religious people doing religious things. He's going to criticize religious practices of giving financially. He's criticizing people doing charitable deeds. And he's going to criticize people who fast and pray. Well, that's bizarre. He's going to say, your motivation for doing these things are not for the right treasures. You've got your eye on the wrong treasure. And notice how often he's going to affirm how we are motivated by rewards. Here's what he says. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your father. That way, you can have the reward of people seeing you and saying, wow, look how you give. But just know if you do that, you get a reward, but you're going to miss out on the greater reward from my father. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. I'm about to give. Look at me. 
And here's the reward, that they may have glory from men. That's what their reward is. They want other people to think of them, see them as giving people. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. He doesn't say rewards are bad. He just says, that's it. That's what you get. But when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But instead, give in secret. Your charitable deeds are done in secret. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will him himself reward you openly. In other words, when you do your giving privately... When you do your serving privately, you give to people who really, there's not networking, there's no benefit to the business, there's no benefit to the bottom line. I am giving truly to give. When you do that, you miss the little reward of the trophy or your name on a building. Or those, those are fine things. You can have that reward. But if you give in ways that people can't give in return, God has a greater reward. And he will celebrate you openly for a life of service. That's what he's offering. Jesus goes on uses a very interesting word. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. And the word hypocrite was actually a Greek word for actor. If you were an actor in the Greek plays during Jesus' time, a Greek actor was called a hypocrite. You would put a mask on and you would pretend to be something that you're not. So Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the actors or the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the street. They don't pray to God in their own life, in their own house, in their own closets. They don't actually want to talk to God. They want to be seen in places talking to God. They act like they're talking to God, but they're really just trying to get other people to think they're very religious. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What's the reward? Wow, everybody thinks you're religious. Or, if you really want to stop acting and really want to learn how to talk to me, serve me, You may get rewards. You may have people mention it, and that's fine, but that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you want the greater reward that comes from our Heavenly Father. You start to develop a craving for a greater reward from God. They did a study on a monkey. His name was Julio. And they set up a cue, routine, and reward for him. The cue was when this computer screen came up, occasionally there would be a shape. Whenever the shape came up, if he pulled a lever, blackberry juice would come out. Oh! And he started realizing that every time this cue came up, he pulled a lever and blackberry juice come out. And he developed a craving for blackberry juice to the point at which he wouldn't do anything else except crave after the blackberry juice. Well, what they found is that craving is key to our routines and our habits. What happens is many times we've chosen to crave after something that the Bible calls an idol or a replacement for God. Now, they're usually good things. They're not bad things. Fame, status, beauty, performance. These are good things. But when that becomes your craving, it's all about everything you do is I'll pull the lever so I can get the blackberry juice. This is going to make me look good. Uh, this makes me more famous. This gives me more influence. This gives me more power. All good things. But God says, there's a greater thing. There's a greater influence. You can get acceptance before people. That's fine. But wouldn't you want acceptance from me? That I see the things done in secret, and I stand you not before a small group of people in your community, but I will one day stand you before the galaxies of people in all of history and say, this person gave secretly for years. This is my friend. It's a phrase in, in the Bible where Jesus says, one day those who practice the art of giving and serving in powerful secret ways, God will pull them aside and say, well done, my good and faithful servant." The God of the universe, your creator, bragging on you, singing on you, 
singing songs about you before the galaxies of humankind. He says, that's the greater reward. Now, if you want to pull the, the, the lever now and get a little bit of fame now, that's fine. But you're going to miss out on the greater reward. So which do you want? Another way of saying is, Jesus says, do you want a little bit now or a lot later? Don't cheat yourself of the long-term investment by getting a little bit of incentive now. Second question he asks is this. Is your lifestyle being illuminated? Are your eyes, what you see and what you prioritize in your reward, are they illuminating your choices, your lifestyle choices? Again, notice he mentions treasures and rewards again. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Again, he's not demonizing it. He's just saying it's not smart. Why get all your treasures here when you know moth destroys it, rust destroys it, thieves break in and take it? He's not saying treasures on earth are bad. He's just saying they're not secure. Instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because those treasures, no moth, no rust, nobody steals it. They are secure. And God can't wait to lavish you with rewards for the ways in which you have chosen to follow him. Treasures, treasures. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think, again, we see this idea of Julio. What do you crave, what you treasure? When you measure what you treasure, figure out what you crave, you're going to notice that you make all your decisions aiming after that. So Jesus says, that's a good reward, but there might be a greater one you could begin to crave. Something greater reward that will far outshadow what it is you're currently pursuing. Then Jesus says something bizarre. In fact, few people have figured this out. I, I was stumped by this for 20 years. I just read a book recently and I went, I think that's what it is. After talking about all these treasures, he then launches into this bizarre metaphor about a lamp. The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, your whole body's full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body's full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great the darkness. What in the world did that have to do with treasures? It's like Jesus writing fortune cookies and they're all totally unrelated. Then he launches into something else that sort of seems about the first treasure piece, but unrelated to the light piece. No one can serve two masters. In other words, whatever you crave, your heart's going to follow. You can't pretend you crave this when it's really that. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. No one can serve both God and mammon, which means money. So here's the question. What in the world does this light metaphor have to do with treasures, rewards, and who you serve? So over the years, people have said, well, maybe it just means you need to have an eye on all the good things God's given you and develop gratitude. Well, maybe. There's a, a New Age teacher. Her name's Elizabeth Clare. She sort of spiritualizes it and says that Jesus is a spiritual guru, and he's teaching us to develop a spiritual eye. You know, having a good eye means developing spiritual sight. The third eye Jesus advocates is a third invisible inner eye that is key to spiritual enlightenment, like a third eye in the middle of your forehead. Again, and it makes Jesus sound like a sort of a, a spiritual guru and like, wow, I wouldn't have got that out of there. That's very interesting. Here's a little hint. If you're getting confused by Jesus, he's a Jewish rabbi. The secret to understanding his idioms and phrases is always in the Old Testament. Again, I didn't know this up until four months ago. I read a book and I went, I got that makes sense. And so here's what I found. This phrase of being a good eye or a bad eye comes right out of the Old Testament in Proverbs. 
The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, what does it mean to have a good eye? This comes right out of Proverbs. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. For he who gives his bread to the poor. I'll have to read that back into Jesus' words. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Therefore, the lamp of the body is your eye. What kind of eye do you have? If you've got a generous eye, when you begin to serve other people, be generous to other people, it fills your whole body with light. It's not just eternal treasures in heaven. You feel good about yourself now when you serve people. You, you, you fill yourself with meaning and purpose when you care for other people. You're filled with light. But if you have a bad eye, what does that mean? Jump down to Proverbs 28:22. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches for himself. He does not consider poverty will come upon him. And all of a sudden we go, oh, it all fits together. A generous eye towards serving others fills me with light. A life that's always consumed about self-centeredness, it fills you with darkness. It, just, it, it, it doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't fill you with meaning and purpose and peace. Therefore, if the light of generosity and service is in you, is, is darkness, how great the darkness. So fill yourself with that. In fact, if you remember the story of Abraham bringing his son Isaac up to be sacrificed, at the end of that story, God reveals himself as the one who provides a sacrifice instead of his son. And the term he used is Jehovah Jireh. Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And in Hebrew, the word provide literally means seize. So he calls it, that's the Lord who sees and provides. These terms are, are intertwined. Because for God, when he sees a need, his instinct is to provide for that need. His eye on a need is his instinct to provide for it. And so Jesus says, develop an eye towards service. You see a need, you see it, and you provide for it. You see a need, you grow close to it. Develop an eye for other people. You're developing the very eye of God. For God is the one who sees and provides. And there's a greater reward when we do it. There's a greater reward he offers to us. Now, when Febreze did their study... They didn't have a problem with the reward. They just offered the wrong reward. It wasn't the greater reward. Is it good to have a good-smelling room? Yeah. But the problem they found is that most of us don't know that we smell. Well, God has the same issue. He shows up and says, you know, you really aren't basically a good person. And we say, we get defensive. I am a good person. And we immediately, our instinct, what is to pull out our resume? Look at all the good things I've done. Right? And God looks at our resume and goes, it smells like you did good things, but let's talk about that instance. Did you do that because you really cared about other people? Or did you do that so you could put it on the resume and tell me what a good person you are? It smells funny. Oh. Did, did, did you really serve your spouse because you want to serve your spouse? Or did you serve your spouse when you got your needs met? Uh, I'm noticing a pattern here, God might say. I smell something. You serve people better when you got your needs met, and you serve them less when you didn't get your needs met. I'm like, oh, man, I stink. It's so true. It's so true. So God says, I've got the solution. I've got power for you to love and serve better. But in order for you to move in that direction, you've got to recognize that you stink. Now, here's the difference. God doesn't use shame to motivate. He uses his example. Even Febreze, it's funny. Febreze has gone back to trying to figure out how to get the cat woman into actually fixing her smelly room. So here's a new commercial. You don't have a couch. You've got a cat in your room. A big, fat, smelly cat that you lay on to watch TV. Look at that. 
Do you, do you know when people walk into your house, they see you as a stinky, smelly cat lady? You don't want to be the stinky, smelly cat lady, right? They're trying to shame you into recognizing, oh my goodness, i got a problem. Jesus doesn't use shame. But he does have the same dilemma. How do you help people who don't know they stink realize that they need something greater? So Jesus does it by example. God leaves heaven and comes to earth. And when he arrives on earth, he says, I did not come to serve. I did not come to be served, but to serve. And he lives an example of serving attitude. He serves his enemies. He doesn't just serve his friends. He doesn't just serve those who are close to him. He sits up on a cross and serves people who are crucifying him. And while he's dying, while he's having nails pounded into his wrists and into his hands and a crown of thorns pushed upon his head, he looks at his enemies and says, you know why I'm up here? I'm serving you. I'm forgiving you for what you have done. Father, forgive them. He's serving them. For they know not what they do. I have trouble serving my spouse and kids. I don't want somebody crucifying me. And then while he's dying, suffocating, having to push up on that, that spike in his feet to gasp a breath, he's serving his mom. Mom, your son, John, your mother. He's serving and thinking about other people while he's being crucified. Now, I do not have a heart that serves like that. When I get sick, when I'm in pain, I just think about me. Poor me, I'm in pain. Poor me, poor me. Why did I put up with this? Jesus is constantly thinking of others. And he says, if you want to develop an eye for serving people at a whole new level, you want to really ratchet it up, there's great rewards coming. I'll give you rewards for doing it. But if you ratchet up, I will come and live in you and give you access to the power I had to serve people that way. But in order to have access to that, you need to realize you stink. You need somebody to die and forgive you. That your service isn't quite as impressive as you think it is. And when you come to that realization, you can tap into my power to begin to serve on a whole new level. But it starts with recognizing the problem. I really am serving to be seen in a lot of areas. I'll give you an example. We moved into a new building about, uh, not this one, but uh, about 15 years ago. We uh, got my first building in Atlanta, so we built this construction. As we put it together, um, we had a, a big grand opening. At the grand opening, I was in charge of doing a magic show. So we had lots of people from the community come in. I'm a magician. I did a variety of magic tricks, some ring tricks, and some scarf tricks. And we were in a rush because we had a movie that night. So I rushed my magic stuff back into my office. And then we had video projectors to install, and the next day was our grand opening. Folks start walking into our grand opening, and as they walk in, oh, our building stinks. It was like a week and a half since we did the grand opening. This was our first service. And like, man, this building stinks. I'm like, Chad, do you know what stinks in the building? Why are you looking at me? I don't know why it stinks in the building. Talk to the facilities people. We talk to the facilities people. Why does it stink? Another week goes by. It's worse. Oh, we're looking in the basement, we're looking at the carpet, we're studying the glues. What is it that's making our building stink? That's a terrible first impression. Chad, are you sure you and the media team and you and the technical team and the creative team? No, it's not us. Why are you talking about us? Go talk to somebody else, the youth pastors. Go talk to the youth pastors. They're probably the ones. The youth pastors and everybody's blaming each other. It stinks around here. Six weeks go by. Our grand opening, it smells all through the building. And I'm now getting mad. Why doesn't somebody fix this? It's ridiculous. I've got to come to work. And I've got to be around this stink all the time. It's a brand new building. So one day I'm cleaning out my office and, and I realized that I've been so focused on our opening run in the new building, I had not put away my magic stuff. So I grabbed my magic stuff. I grabbed my rings. I put it away. I grabbed my cylinders. And I went, 
no, it's me. I had the cylinder trick that you would pull one cylinder out. And in this cylinder, I would take three scarves and I would wrap them to look like um, gold handkerchief fish. And I would drop the three fish in. I would then take this cylinder and put on top and I would reveal three live goldfish. Or once a live goldfish. It turns out that if you don't feed goldfish for several weeks or water them, uh, they die and they float in the water and they stink up your whole church. And here I am with my stinking fish in my stinking cylinder, having blamed anybody and everybody. It's not me. And I'm now totally embarrassed. I walk in. Well, actually, I went and dumped it out. And I, I walk into the facilities people. I'm like, I am so sorry. It was me. I stunk up the whole place. And for many of us, you don't know that you smell of self-centeredness. And there comes a moment that you start realizing, oh my goodness, I've stunk up my marriage for years with my self-centeredness. I've stunk up my, my parenting with my self-centeredness. I've stunk up my work with self-centeredness. It's been all about me, me, me. But God says, hey, no shame. You're aware now. Let me forgive you. And let me give you a power to begin to develop a habit of serving others at a whole new level. Measure what you treasure. And you'll find and you can change your habits. So I want you to develop an eye for other people. Wherever you're at, how do you take a next step? So think again about that chart we looked at. There's going to be areas of your life, if you're really honest, you can say, there's some areas I am still all about me. In fact, I think the more aware you become of God's truth and his grace, the more you can be honest about some of the dark, smelly places in your life. You say, God, I, I want to move a step in that area. And other areas you say, you know what, I really have been doing this because I'm seen. I'm going to start the discipline of serving hidden secret giving. Hidden secret giving. I want to give in ways that nobody will know because I want to develop that area of my heart and service. And some of us, we need to expose ourselves to areas of real needs where people are, are hurting. And so what we do is we begin to step out and, and get near people. We go on one of our global mission trips. We, we begin to experience other people's real needs and poverty, and our heart gets broken. And we're like, well, I'm not doing this out of obligation or duty. I'm, it's a privilege for people to serve. What would it look like for you to use our spiritual habits discipline, maybe to challenge you, to take the next step in becoming person with an eye on others for service. I'll give you five ways you can respond, some related to the church, some related to yourself. Our top five areas, number one, maybe you've been coming for four or five weeks, people serve you, serve your kids on the way in, and you want to start coming to a service and serving at a service. So you want to come to one of our services and you want to be a first impressions person or a greeter or somebody who's the first to greet you as you walk in the door. Maybe you want to join us in our bag, Hunger. And we have blue bags, and those blue bags we fill with interparish. To go to Interparish Ministries, we fill with imperishables. And you want to get some cans and bring those in. And you want to bring those next week. If we gather together, let's have bags together that we can provide for the poor and develop a generous eye. Maybe you want to use your expertise. Whatever your expertise is, how can I use that to leverage God's kingdom in the world to help the poor, to help the impoverished, to help the orphan, to help the widow? Maybe you've got technology skills. You want to serve here at the church, serve in our tech booth with volunteers that are there now, running cameras or video or in the student ministry. Maybe you want to come in like many volunteers do and serve our children's ministry or student ministry with our checkout room or our monitors. To say, people have served me so well as I've been coming to Horizon for years, I want to now give back. Or maybe for you, it just get connected. We have an event on April 19th at 10 a.m. that just helps you discover what your gifts are and what the different areas of the church needs are. 
So that's one area you could do it. However, maybe it's totally unrelated to the church. Maybe your step today is to say, God, I want to have a deeper heart of service toward my spouse. I want to serve them when they don't deserve it. I want to serve them when I don't feel like it. I want to serve them because you serve me so well. Or maybe you've heard about our Belize trips and our Cancun trips, and you say, hey, I want to be part of that. We're going to start forming right now the teams that go next year. In fact, I'd like you to hear some stories of some folks who went on our trips this year and hear what God did in their heart as they pursued the greater reward. Can we give a a warm welcome to John and Carol and Chris as they come up? Guys, come on up. All right. Well, first of all, I want to thank these two because, you know, other than the fear of death, fear of speaking in front of public is, is second worst. And now we learn we're going to lose our rewards, too. So thanks, Chad. Um, but, no, um, it's really important for people to kind of hear your hearts. And thanks for being willing to share that because everyone else is thinking, well, what's my next step? But Chris here went with 16 men to Cancun, Mexico, to serve um, uh, children at risk mm-hmm. and both physical labor and some interaction time. And Carol was one of 70 that went to Belize, um, Central America, to serve on our annual medical trip. Now, Carol's not a medical person, uh, but she went um, to help on that trip. And you also, I think, helped with the Cancun ladies on a previous trip. But um, So, Carol, I guess I'll, I'll pick on you first. Okay. And uh, say, you know, what was it that triggered you to go on this Belize trip? Because you've been at Horizon since the very earliest of days, but this year you decided to go. Well, I had gone on the women's trip to Cancun, and one of the wonderful perks of going on these trips are the people that you meet there. And I didn't know anyone, and I ended up meeting a wonderful friend, Hannon Kerr, who happened to be a cardiologist. And then she suggested, why don't we try the medical trip uh, for something different? Because we had heard very good things about it, and we were so glad we did. That's cool. So that represented both sides. She was the doctor, and you were the non-doctor. And we, we take at least as many non-medical people to help leverage their skills. So, And, Chris, uh, one of the obstacles uh, I hear a lot of time is, People say, well, why go 1,700 miles and live out of a suitcase when there's people right here who have need? Mm-hmm. So how did you kind of rectify that in your mind? Well, there's, there's uh, opportunities to serve everywhere, and whether it's uh, right outside your front door um, or it's thousands of miles away. Um, I think what it really comes down to is um, finding out um, what you have passion for um, and then spending time with God and finding out um, where he wants you to be, um, his hands and feet um, at that time, and then... Uh, be obedient and, and follow his, his leading. Good. And um, Carol, I guess I'll ask you the same thing. I love the idea of um, planting seeds around God and helping people come to God around the world and feeling that really global big picture of um, really changing the world in very small steps but reaching people that otherwise would not have been reached. Yeah. And um, the other thing that I always find happens with people is they have obstacles. Some people don't go on the trips because of obstacles, but you did. So what were kind of some obstacles for you? Initially, before the first trip, the women's trip, I had issues around safety and uh, disease. But once I arrived there and saw how well orchestrated the church had done this so many times, we were in such a comfortable, protected environment, and mostly that the people we went and saw 
were so receiving and thrilled to have us there that that warmth and reward just put all fears aside. That's cool. And Chris, uh, Chad was talking this morning about serving out of a sense of of obligation, of serving out of generosity, going to serve others, or you know, you may have thought one thing when you were going uh, to Cancun, but as you came back on the plane, as you kind of molded over and thought about it, you know, how did you come to terms with what you felt like you did or what you learned? Well, I, you know, my uh, perspective on serving was always it was fairly cut and dry. It was the server, and it was the servee, and that was it. And you checked the box, and that was it. And that was the end of the transaction. Very dry. Um, but what I was privileged um, to experience out there was seeing the, the fruits of our labor uh, within that, that same week uh, span. We put in a, uh, a soccer field um, for uh, the folks in uh, Trace Reyes there and were able to uh, watch the kids actually play on it for the first time and watch the, just the unfettered joy um, of them being able to, to play on that field, whereas they had nothing like that before. Um, I mean, that, you, you talk about a privilege uh, of serving that, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. And I just saw a couple of people um, this morning that had a name tag on for the first time because they just joined our greeter team. So I always feel like um, even though sometimes you have to twist people's arms a little bit, whether it's to go away for a week, um, go 1,700 miles and, and pay to do it, uh, take the time off, or whether it's just that next step of um, serving in some way, uh, it's a big step, but it's one that rewards them because they they experience something new. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to pray for all these people um, since um, maybe they'll go on the trip with you next year. So let's just, uh, or, or in some way, serve. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for everyone here listening, and I just pray as the band comes back and plays that um, you'll speak to each of us uh, what the next step would be for us. One of those things Chad uh, mentioned that we should mark on a Connect card or Um, something that's not even within this room. We just pray that you would knock on our hearts and lead us to the next step. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, the thing about Horizons, we love to serve. And we love to serve because Jesus first served us. We love to give because he first gave to us. And one of the reasons we don't do an offering in our services is because we don't want you to give out of guilt. We want you to give of your time, your treasure, and your talents because you're so enthralled by being part of a community who does stuff like that. I want to support that. My tithe goes toward helping people who are, are feed my starving children and helping serve people and overseas and, and, and go on a mission trip and give up a vacation. I had a chance to have a payday of reward recently. The last two years I've been teaching my son to ski because he's got sensory needs. and so He just loves the idea of skiing. And, and yet in order for me to help Quinn ski, I've got to be in constant... Uh, mode of stopping myself and I've got to hold him between my legs and I'm holding him up and my back is killing me for two years I've been doing this because it's something he enjoys and something we're going to be able to do together and I'm just serving and serving and serving I'm thinking oh so every week pay off I'm trying to move him over to the edge so my back doesn't hurt quite as bad and this week just uh, this last Thursday I'm skiing along with him and he's not doing very well at all and all of a sudden he's holding on to my finger and he lets go and he lets go and the joy and the smile on his face as we are skiing down, we are beginning to move down the, uh, the slope. You can go ahead and hit play if it works. If it doesn't, I'll just tell you about it. Um, and as he's holding my hand, amazing. He skis a little bit further and he's going down. Some of you have seen this on my Facebook page. And I go over and I'm like, buddy, you're skiing. You're skiing all by yourself. He comes over and grabs my hand again. And I'm like, two years of sacrifice. Two years of my broken back. And there's my little guy skiing. Oh, my goodness. The, 
the, the joy, the, the, feeling, uh, the feeling of being proud, the feeling of, oh, it's so worth it in that moment. And God does the same thing to us. God says, I am your father, and I'll wrap my arms around you, and at great cost to myself, I got sacrificed. Great cause, I literally broke my back on the cross to love you and to care for you and serve you because I want to be in a relationship with you and to teach you and model for you what a life of service is. Serve others. Make a habit of service. Not because you have to, but because of how He served us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your example. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for the opportunity and privilege we have to do unto others as You have done unto us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. If you did compare to get, come prepared to give, there's some offering boxes on the way out. If you'd like to know how to serve in those areas, you can drop those in the offering box. If you'd like some blue bags, they're outside in the foyer as well. And if you're going to come to our Easter service, grab some tickets over by the fireplace. Thanks again. We'll see you all next week.